You alright? Yeah, just that was really loud. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. I should have warned you. I got you bangly banged in my ear. Uh, I'll do it again. Ew. Bangly bang on the. Uh. <laughs> this is not going to go. Be, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Bangly bang on yet another jet lagged Empire podcast this week. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to listen to an excerpt from our Mission Impossible Fallout spoiler special. With writer-director Christopher McQuarrie, just in case you haven't already had enough of Mission Impossible Fallout spoiler specials with writer-director Christopher McQuarrie. Plus all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast. It's like a turd in the wind tied to a stick that's been driven into frozen winter shit. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Brought to you... It's a Radiohead lyric. Uh, brought to you by, you know... Yes, I know what Radiohead are. Thank you. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Is that what they are, though? Beep, 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 boop, boop. Okay. Yes, one. Yes, one. Yes, children. That that one. You know, Fitter Happier. You know that song on. What's the song? OK Computer. Sure. Fitter Happier, more productive. That one. No. Terry, you don't. You don't look at me like you don't know what I'm doing. Or I feel really ashamed to employ you right now. But <laughs> do continue. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, I'm all about pleasing our sponsors. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, brought to you by those wonderful peeps at Sky Cinema. Later in the show, I'll be telling you my recommendations for this week. Just two films from the fast array that they have on Sky Cinema. Uh, over a thousand films at your disposal with a brand new premiere. No, not saying that. With no, a premiere. Not. There you go. Every single day of the week and twice on Sundays. That may not be accurate, but... I think it'll be fine. Uh, so there, that's very, very exciting indeed. Now, I am fresh off a plane from the City of Angels where I was conducting the second epic Mission Impossible Fallout spoiler special interview with Christopher McQuarrie. The first part is available for you to listen to now as well as the podcast where we talk about it like a bunch of giggling idiots. And speaking of giggling idiots, this week I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning, some of whom you've already heard, none of whom are Chris McQuarrie, but that's not hold that against him because you have to play with the cards you're dealt, really, don't you, in this life? Outrageous. And it means this podcast is going to clock in at a mere two and a half hours as well, which is good. Uh, first up is our geek queen, a woman who this week revealed the full extent of her addiction to moleskin notebooks. You name it, she's got it. Spider-Man, Avengers, yeah. Topless Sam, Bottomless Dean. It's all there. Each one filled with pages of spidery scrawl. All work and no play makes Helen a dull girl. <laughs> that's true. That's what I've filled every single one of those every notebooks Every single this, page. This was on my uh, Instagram. I was doing some tidying and put a picture up of all my notebooks. Not yes. even all, actually. No, no, no. I find some more after I finished. Oh, good. I've got a Chronicles of Narnia uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader one as well. It's Helen O'Hara, by the Hello. way. <laughs> hey, everybody. Do you have, like, a heart with Mrs. Helen Winchester? Uh, written I, over and over again on the front cover, Mrs. Helen Winchester. Let's say no. If you could marry yeah. Sam or Dean, yeah. which one would you marry? Dean. I'm on record for this for like a long time ago. All right, but Sam's a bit on the side? No. Okay, excellent. Good to know. Uh, next up, making a rare foray onto the podcast is uh, a woman who inspires me every single day to not come into the office and just generally give it a big old swerve. It is, of course, our editor-in-chief, the wonderful... Hang on, just got to read my notes. Terry White? 
Is that right? Am I saying that right? Tiree. Tiree. Tiree White. I thought it was (laughs) Tiree. I know. You could totally get away with that. Right? It's only been three years. And by the way, you really like coming in the office. Where have you been all week? (laughs) I just fucking said. I've been in LA. 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 By the way, I'm doing air quotes. (laughs) As this is audio, you can't see this, but I'm doing air quotes. Yes. Uh, James Dyer this week discovered a trail of blood outside the Empire offices leading from the Empire offices to the Morrisons next door to the Empire offices. And can I just say that I have a watertight alibi. Nothing to do with me. You say next door, it's like 500 metres. Like, we followed this blood from a pool where presumably the person was shanked outside the office, <laughs> and we followed this spatter all the way round the corner, down the road, through the car park, and to Morrison's. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm saying... I mean, the narrative here is extraordinary. Like, if I were Grissom and it was CSO, I'd think, oh, yes, the victim was killed here, and thought, I'm dying, what do I want? I want my one last Morrison's meal deal. <laughs> and so they dragged themselves bleeding and gasping to Morrison's and grabbed a little ham sandwich, <laughs> uh, a snack and a drink. Maybe they went somewhere to get help. For £3.50. Not in Camden. No. Well, <laughs> yeah. Where else? No one's helping them in Camden. No, but, like, I, I broke my arm once on the old Kent Road, right, across sounds, the street. Sounds like a Chas and Dave song. <laughs> 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 that's that's my most, arm on the old Kent Road. That's the most violent game of Monopoly I've ever heard of. <laughs> so I broke my arm, I right? I fucked someone up on Whitechapel. <laughs> and I was, I was a bit... I was a bit, I think, in shock because I'd just broken my arm. So you and went to Morrison's? I went to, well, there wasn't a Morrison's handy, but I went to an Asda because I thought, in my in my shaken up state, I thought, well, they have a pharmacy. Every little helps. Maybe they have, well, that would be Tesco, wouldn't it? I don't know. I can't keep track. Um, Which one's Asda? They just smack their own arse, I thought maybe they? they have a pharmacy and maybe they will have somebody who does first aid. I don't know why I thought that. And I wandered around the Asda for a minute and then I was like, what the fuck are you doing in Asda? You've got a probably broken arm, go to a hospital. So I went outside the bus stop and I was like, okay, if a 21 comes, I'll go to Tommy's and if it's a 53, I'll go to Guy's or the other way around. And and that was it. Yeah, there's a point where that antidote became boring. <laughs> yeah. and you may have gone overboard yeah. on the okay. information. When you were detailing is... the bus numbers, that, that's, that's usually when you lose people. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, I got a bit Cuckoo. And I wasn't even stabbed, so. (laughs) Thank heaven for small mercies. (laughs) Uh, Anyone here been stabbed? Anyway, and Terry, I'm looking at you. You're from the north. Or stabber or stabby? What do you reckon? No, never been. Never never seen anyone, you know, anyone on the receiving end of a cheeky cheeky shank. Also, both of you, it's like prison language with you two. <laughs> the men go, shanks, they must have been shanked. Like, oh, with no. a shiv. People, with a, with people a in shiv. the street I... don't get shanked with a shiv because if you want to stab somebody, you can just go and get a bread knife. <laughs> I know, but again... You have, to fashion, you have to fashion one on the streets of Camden I feel, from gutter rubbish. I feel in Camden they're sharpening toothbrush handles rather than getting bread knives. I just It just seemed more that kind of place. Nobody in Camden has a toothbrush. <laughs> Can I just apologise if any Empire readers live in Camden? <laughs> Which is actually the incredibly expensive part of London. Oh, no, it's, it's very well to do. It's very well to do. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> anyway, welcome all to the Empire podcast. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Uh, and this is a tight 41, so we're going to get straight into it. Uh, we have a question, and the question is from Twitter. Not Twitter itself. Twitter hasn't become sentient to start asking questions. God help us all. The question is from Carl from Wolves, at Carl from Wolves, and Carl is going to help us fold in a major bit of news, which you'll never guess, broke about three minutes after we put the podcast up last week. And that question is, how do you feel about Carrie Fisher being named in the cast for Star Wars 
episode 9. So, a little bit of context here. After we put the podcast up last week, uh, Lucasfilm are clearly waiting for that to happen. And the second that happens, then they just put up major Star Wars news, which is basically that they announced the cast or the bulk of the cast for Star Wars Episode Nine, which began filming this week. And lots of names in there that you would expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, confirmation of some other names like Carrie Russell and Mark Hamill, which we'll yep. get to in a second. But Richard, I guess the big Richard story... E. Grant. Richard E. Grant. Okay. But the big news, I guess, was the confirmation that Carrie Fisher will be in the movie as Leia using footage that was unused from The Force Awakens. So that's what we'll talk about principally, and then we'll get into the rest of it after that. How do we feel about that, first and foremost, Terry? So I know the justification is there was the feeling that she wasn't given a satisfying ending, right? Now, I... And and obviously the actual ending, maybe there's an argument about the kind of dramatic intent and that being her actual final moment on screen. For me, I think of Carrie Fisher's final moment as the floating... In the stars, that that I mean, in when I first saw that at the screening, I burst into floods of tears. Me too. And that image for me is is Leia's kind of final moment in Star Wars. I find it really difficult to judge because they're talking about obviously not using CGI, obviously not doing any recasting, anything like that, using mm-hmm. deleted scenes, which I think makes it really difficult to try and understand. And I think the difficulty is because her passing was so emotional, was so significant for so many reasons. That character means so much to people that what you don't want is some kind of forced, maybe slightly clumsily crafted ending which they think gives some kind of emotional punctuation point to the fandom. I think whatever they do, I mean, I was just looking at the replies to JJ's tweet just on the very basis of what he said and mm-hmm. the the fans were out in force um, not being particularly kind of... Uh, kind to him right off the bat and I think you've kind of got a sometimes you're on a hiding to nothing with Star Wars fans in terms of what you do because you're going to get a huge backlash from people regardless of wherever you end up I think to do it well with existing deleted footage and have a satisfying narrative and emotional ending I think that's a really tall order yeah I think it depends very much on the one thing we don't know, which is what they have. What? Yeah. And and I think we have to hope that they have something coherent and sensible that they intentionally held back, knowing that it would provide something worthwhile and and significant to this film. Well, that um, have meant a conversation though between Ryan and JJ. Yeah, probably. Mm. Yeah, but we have to hope that something like that happened and that. There has been, you know, thought and intention put into this and, and it's not just sort of combing through the rushes to figure out where they can change the background in a sort of Oliver Reed and Gladiator sort of way. Yeah. Mm. Um, because uh, I think we want it to be meaty enough to kind of justify it, I guess. Mm. Um, but but I hope that that's what they've done. I hope that there's been thought about this because, you know, you got the sense there have been a lot of um, uh, changes and, and, you know... Uh, last minute alteration or not last minute but alterations and thought went into The Last Jedi and I would hope that whatever they saved is you know worthwhile Do I recall them saying just after she died that everything shot from her is in the movie so but they did say something I'm sure no, to I that th- effect No I thought they said that she had finished shooting on yeah. the movie I don't think they sh- said everything we have is in and that's the last Jedi yeah. anyway. Yeah. Complete, she completed all of her yeah. scenes, but not that they used everything she'd shot. Okay. Fine. <laughs> I, I'm guessing that's the answer you were looking for, Jane. Yeah. No, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's, it's great that she's in it. I think it wouldn't have done that character 
uh, it would have done the character a disservice if she just, you know, off screen won the, you know, Republic lottery and, you know, f- fucked off to another planet to sort of retire. That would have been ridiculous, you know. So it's nice to hopefully they'll they'll craft a proper send off for her. Yeah. And I'm glad that they're not going to go down the, you know, which they said they wouldn't anyway, go down the CG route and do a Rogue One because mm. that would just be upsetting on every uh, level. Yeah. So you know, yay. Uh, but we'll we'll. We'll see. Reserve judgment, yeah. obviously, but uh, yeah, it's going to be intriguing to see what happens with that. Uh, so, just to go back into the, the press release, which was uh, issued last week. So, filming has started this week. JJ uh, Abrams crew with the screenplay with Chris Terrio. Returning cast members include Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Lupita Nyongo, Donald Gleason, Kelly Marie Tran, Jonas Suatomo, of course, as uh, Chewbacca, and Billy Lord. Now, what's Billy Lord's character called in episode 8. Anyone know? Lieutenant Connix. Oh, okay. Good, excellent. Lieutenant Connix. Uh, joining the cast, new newbies, Naomi Aki, Richard E. Grant, who just, if he's not playing a First Order officer, there's something seriously <laughs> wrong. Uh, never has a man been more suited for the uniform. Just, it just he suits it. Uh, Carrie Russell, of course, and they'll be joined by veteran Star Wars actors Anthony Daniels and Billy D. Williams as Lando Calrissian. There are two tidbits in this press release that I latched onto. One, of course, is the return of Mark Hamill. Yeah, surprising Mark. no one, to be honest. Yeah, of course. Uh, see you around, kid. He says. But do we think that Luke is dead, or do we think he's going to be a Force ghost, or do we think he's going to be something else? Force, Force ghost. ghost. Yeah. Force ghost. Yeah. yeah. Force ghost. I think something else. Oh, mm. what? Like, like what? I don't know. We haven't seen it yet. The I, co- the, I didn't write the screenplay. Do, do you think it's going to be the cock knocker? It's going to be the cock knocker. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be amazing. Bringing dildos to the Star Wars universe. <laughs> uh, but the inter- the really interesting thing is that they called it they confirmed that this is the final installment of the Skywalker saga. We knew that though. No, we didn't. We kind of knew that. No, we didn't. We, we kind of did. Because okay. they've, they've planned this out their is, other this films. This is a compelling podcast. No, but they've, they've, <laughs> they've planned out their films going forward, and the next sort of series of films is the ones that Ryan Johnson's working on, which are, have they've said, it's nothing to do with the Star Wars saga, uh, the Skywalker saga. Yeah, so, but they've never said that the Skywalker saga will finish with nine. The, the assumption's yeah. always been that it will go on or be in episode oh, 10, no, 11, always, 12, I, no, 14, no, 14, 14, 15. No, no, I always, always assumed it was ending at this point. I don't know whether I've just made that up or whether it's something someone had said to me, but I, I'd always assumed it was ending at this point. But then equally, is it or isn't it? Like, it's ending at this point until they decide, mm. if they decide, that it won't end at this point. Like, nothing's ever set in stone, is it? No, this is true. But what, true. What, what do we think about that? that I think that's very interesting that they're going to. Well, and they did. I think Chris is right. Sorry, James. Um, but they said it would be the end don't of this. Don't make me destroy you. <laughs> the end of this phase. But actually, I'd never, I don't think they specifically said the end of the sky, Skywalker. And I think that's just you applying your immense. I'm trying to like get my way out of this. Your immense, impressive <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> your immense what? <laughs> yeah, your wow. immense, massive. Oh, good lord. <laughs> Oh, it's dead hot in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yep. on that bombshell. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I, He's low um, explaining again. Uh, can, can I be somewhere in the middle? Like, Hang you know, on, wait, wait a second. Does <laughs> it sound like a not, safe not place like decision? <laughs> No, in the sense that, you know, George Lucas always talked about nine, or at least since the prequels he talked about nine. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense that there is some kind of vague nine story shaped arc. Yeah, but he talked about nine, I, and then he said it was only ever six, and it was not nine, and then he changed it back to nine. He's he's yeah. not been he's not, say, he's consistent. He's not been hundred percent consistent. I'm not saying he has, but like it's it's not entirely inconsistent. Therefore, that they'd be thinking about nine primarily, but there's always an open door in mm. Hollywood, you yes. know. And I do think I have to say I think what um, we've seen recently with Lucasfilm and Disney is that 
they are kind of adapting as they go. I think nothing is really set in stone. I think they are responding to what's happening both on the main episodes and the origin stories, and I think they are kind of moving. I've never seen them kind of be as adaptable and make as many changes as they go Mm. as they have, because I think, you know, they're really, I think, having to react to the fandom to some lesser or greater degree. Yeah, I would hope to a lesser degree with the toxic fandom the of, of the last Jedi. Yeah, uh, Nobdom, as I like to call them. <laughs> but uh, I'm intrigued to see how uh, JJ will retcon all the stuff that he that, that, <laughs> that Brian Johnson did that he didn't like. Episode nine, the crawl begins with "It was all a dream." Maybe he loves it. You don't know he doesn't like it. Luke Skywalker has awoken from a really vivid dream he had. He's in a shower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Suffy somewhere nonsense. in Dallas. Bobby's alive. <laughs> Darth. Luke wakes up. There's a shower running. Yeah. Pulls back the shower. Han and Chewie in there because they're caked with mud. There's no sexual shenanigans Keep going talking. on. Keep uh, talking. And that's, that's, that's it. That's the movie. Just Luke watching Han and Chewie shower for two, for two hours. Uh, but actually, while we're on the subject of Star Wars, Terry White, uh, Terai White, has, uh, is, is it Terai or Terai? Terai. 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 Has some exciting Star Wars news. I'm very jet-lagged. Is anyone noticed that? Oh, really? Are you? Yeah. I think you're being your best self. My very best self. <laughs> All right, Oprah. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. You are totally like your best self. You get some Star Wars news and you, <laughs> you get some Star, Star Wars news. news. <laughs> you don't because you've been a naughty boy. We have been. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So, yes. in uh, other exciting Star Wars news, so we also closed the magazine on Thursday uh, less than 24 hours before the episode nine news broke, which... Uh, That's was... an industry term for uh, we finished it. Yeah, yeah, we closed it. Um, we sent it to the printers. So we decided to do a massive poll on the favourite Star Wars characters mm-hmm. ever after... Was that your massive, excitement massive, at the poll? No, I just, you said massive poll. You said massive oh, poll, so therefore my innuendoometer has to kick in. Oh, and this is, oh God, it's like The Office condensed, turned up by a hundred times and put in a goldfish bowl. Um, yes, so we did a massive poll online and essentially found the 50 great... Massive poll, massive poll, massive poll. Uh, the 50 greatest Star Wars characters ever... And we dedicated a whole issue to them, celebrated every single one of those 50 characters, got some of Empire's greatest writers to essentially write love letters to one of those characters. Yeah, (laughs) and James Dyer. I hate when you beat me to a punchline. (laughs) (laughs) And it's on this week's cover of Empire. Six covers to collect, six of our favourite characters. And I'm not going to tell you who wins. Okay. I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, (laughs) Give give me three. (laughs) It is Han. It is Luke, it is Leia, it is Vader, it is Kylo Ren, and Uh it is Rey. No no Chewbacca? No Chewbacca. Racist. I mean, you haven't lived till you've read my 250 words on Grand Admiral Thrawn. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. I'm okay here in the utter darkness without life. (laughs) Start queuing now, kids. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Grand Admiral Thrawn is in there. Yes, so it is on sale next Thursday in All Good and Evil News Agents. Excellent. I look forward to doing the big old hard plug. Is it hard plug? Hard sell. Hard plug. Hard Hard plug. Massive plug. Massive poll. If you want to have your question read out in the APRA podcast, (laughs) why would you? you? (laughs) Carl from Wolves has to his satisfaction, and you can do so via the following methods. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast, or chances are we won't see the message 
We're on Facebook as Empire Magazine and you can email us as well, podcast at empireonline.com. Could I just say... No. That, that <laughs> nothing the good comes of you saying anything. I suffer on this podcast, that my introductions have got more and more truncated to the point where this week I didn't even warrant one. <laughs> that's, that's, that's... No, that's, I did, I introduced you. No, you I didn't. said your name and no, no. then you started speaking. And that's generally your wow. cue to start speaking. You hear your name, or in some cases, you don't hear your name and you just decide to start speaking. Yeah. Do you want an intro? No. I'll give you an intro. No, you're dead to me. And... Um, James Dyer is also here, which is nice, I guess. Thanks. There you go. I feel better now. Good, good, good. Uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, giving you big introductions, because I'll be giving you all big introductions, I would hope, on the evening of September the 7th, Friday, September 7th, we're doing our next live show at the as part of the London Podcast Festival at King's Place, where we were for our last two live shows. It's an amazing venue. If you're at those shows, you'll know what's in store. Uh, at least I hope you know what's in store. I don't have a fucking clue, so please tell me what's in store. But it's going to be awesome. Friday evening, 7 o'clock start. If you go to www.kingsplace.co.uk, you can pick up tickets on sale now. And because it's part of the London Podcast Festival, if you, you can buy tickets for three shows and you get a discount. And the lineup this year at the Podcast Festival is so strong that they've stretched it to last over two weekends. It's a cracking lineup. Lots of American podcasters coming over. Lots of British podcasters. Uh, it's going to be awesome. So there you go. kingsplace.co.uk and tell them Empire sent you. Right, should we have some movie news? Sure. What has been happening? I've we been- are Venom. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Please don't do that. It's <laughs> so there's been a new Venom trailer. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Is this, <laughs> is this the one that's won everyone over and convinced everyone yeah. that this is a really exciting film? It looks so good. This is the one people are taking the piss out of online. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. That one. Right. <laughs> Just checking. I can't, I can't, I can't do that. Well. <laughs> give it's it not, a go, Helen. Give it a go. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> you are the least Venomy person oh, I know. Oh, thank you. That's, yeah. a, that's, actually, that's a compliment. That's yeah. literally the nicest really thing you've ever is. said to me. Yeah. I worked um, for you for over a decade yeah. and that's it. Alongside, I would say you don't. You know, do, 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 I mean, do you work for he was James? Technically, my boss for most of that time. <laughs> Only technically, very technically. <laughs> anyway, so a new Phantom trailer came out this week, and people saw it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair we to did. say. We did. We did. Uh, see it. What do we think of this trailer? Because I think it's fair to say that we've been slightly skeptical about Phantom as a movie in the past. But this turned me around to being really sceptical about it. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not a good trailer. It's it's not a good trailer. We've said this before. This is the most 90s superhero yeah. adaptation I've ever seen. It's like And he decades. lived through the 90s. Yeah, and I, and I was alive and well during that time. Uh, it, it, it feels like decades have, have rolled back and we're back to we're back to the spawn years. Well, yeah. isn't that also what the turd in the wind line is really about? <laughs> <laughs> this film is like a turd in the wind rolling down a hill. Elton John's best song. <laughs> stupid, bombastic <laughs> trying to be funny but really absurd 90s yeah. it's that thing like I'm going to bite off your head and then your arms and then your legs and you'll be a turd in the wind <laughs> is he Irish? <laughs> to be sure like <laughs> I'll bite off your head well, I did and hear, your arms I did hear there was a little bit of confusion about his accent generally I don't so. know what's happening in that film and then there's the bit where he's talking about eating pancreases and stuff and 
so so little time, so many snacks or something. It's yeah. just, it, it does not look okay. good. Was there anything that was encouraging about the trailer, Terry? What did you What did you think of of the whole shebang? Uh, okay, right. Here's the thing. Okay, <laughs> I understand what they're trying to do. I understand the distance. Putting some uh, clear water with Spider-Man, I understand the tonal shift they're going for. They are looking at what's done well over the last two years, which are comic book adaptations with Edge, with Bite. <laughs> that has a tonal difference to all of the um, slightly more generic uh, films out there. I understand, I suppose, what their intention is, but I don't think they pull it off. I, I get the bits that are meant to be funny, but I felt like I was laughing for the wrong reason, as in... Um, I wanted to rip my own face off <laughs> and throw that at the wall. Um, so it didn't really work for me and it didn't make me more excited by the film. No. Yeah. On the plus side, the texture of Venom's eyes looks like pick and mix. Hmm. Well, that's good. Well, that's a massive plus yeah. for me. That's... So it made Ooh. me hungry. Right, like Venom. Yes. <laughs> some of the effects I wasn't convinced by right. some of I mean the yeah, you the, can't the see me doing this was, but the yeah. I was like hey up that does not look yeah, that wasn't great. good and then it feels a little bit like they showed a shot which looked a lot like the fight at the end of the film, which rather gives away what's going to happen at yeah. the end of the film. Yeah. Which doesn't look like a good end to the film. Did anybody read the fabulous Michelle Williams piece in Fantasy Fair? Fair? Don't oh babes. No, don't she me on that. it was a it was oh. a, it's a wonderful little article. If you haven't read it, you should. But um uh, she sort of doesn't talk a lot about the film and says sort of, Oh, I was going for something, you know, to try something different, do something more mainstream. There's nothing in there, you know. We talked when the cast was announced about the fact these are all great people, mm. like Riz Ahmed and people in there as well. He gives me hope, but it sounded like they weren't in it for. Ooh, this is a really interesting spin. This is a different thing. It, would, it just sounded like, oh, I thought I'd try something big, and that, that's that's disappointing a little bit. If indeed that is the case, which it may not be, yeah. we may have be taking. Of course, Tom Hardy's meant to be a big fan of Venom, which is why he wanted to do it in the first place. Uh, you know, look, look, every day is Christmas Eve. We've got to hope for the best mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm, and prepare mm-hmm. for not the best, just in case. Fully agreed. Fully agreed. Uh, last week, of course, we discussed the departure of James Gunn from the director's chair on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And we talked about how Dave Bautista in particular had been quite outspoken in his reaction to Disney's firing of Gunn over those tweets that he wrote mm. 10, 9, 10 years ago. Uh, and this week... Batista was joined by the rest of the Guardians of the Galaxy in a statement aimed at Disney in which they basically called for Gunn to be rehired. What do we think of that? My recollection of reading it is they didn't call for him to be rehired. They didn't, they didn't even it was an say they didn't, support, It was yeah. written. Every tweet yeah. has had rehired James Gunn. Yeah, but I'm saying the actual statement doesn't say that. Yeah. It doesn't okay. even refer to it. Okay, but in individual tweets, they've all called for him to be rehired. Yeah, just, so. just a point of clarity. Yeah. Okay. Now, they're not mutineering, they're not refusing to work on the on the next film, but they are very, very much coming out in support of James Gunn and mm. very, very much denouncing the, the decision to fire him, which is a bold move, I would say. Some people have said they haven't gone far enough and that they should have gone. You don't make Guardians 3 with, without James Gunn or with us. Well, I don't know course, they have that option. Yeah, they, 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 were, they may well be, and prob- almost certainly are, in fact, tied into contracts. Which I'm sure they are, but... Uh, pretty impossible, you know, or pretty as, difficult, at least. As um, who has it said recently? I, I, I won't name the actor in question in case it's not uh, officially out there. It's very hard to make an actor star yeah. in a movie against her will, contract, sure. contract or no contract. Sure, yeah. that's true. Yeah, that, I think I think it was actually a really well crafted statement in that it was unambiguously supportive. Um, 
unambiguously, uh, you know, uh, denounced the decision to to sort of snap fire him, but wasn't aggressive, wasn't you know throwing the toys out of the, the pram, wasn't threatening anything. I, th- I thought it was a really well crafted decision. But of course, today there's been a report saying that Disney have absolutely no intention of turning back on this and that are are determined to stick to their guns. Um, and that story made it very much a question of you know. Blah blah ethics. Family company can't be seen to be endorsing. Although I don't think it is any endorsement of that. It's not current behaviour at all, and, and mm. clearly doesn't reflect the man he is today. So, um, so I think that's disappointing if that if that report today is true. But um, but I thought it was a really well done statement. And I thought it was uh, it spoke well of them and their their loyalty to someone who made this series the hit that it is. They are Groot. They are Groot. Mm-hmm. It's going to really put the pressure on if, for example, they don't rehire James Gunn. And I will say personally, I feel that they should. But if they don't and they go, whichever director takes this over, that's not an enviable position for anyone to be in, is it? When you, you step on set with presumably that cast, of course they could they could post Avengers 4, just go, oh, they're all dead now and uh, we're going to recast with a whole bunch of new Guardians, which of course is what can happen because the Guardians lineup changes constantly in the comics. Sure. But just say, for example, that you step on Day one, and you've got Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista, Sean Gunn pretending to be Rocket, all that sort of all that sort of stuff. That's an interesting environment to be in, isn't it? Well, I read, I read, I don't know if it was the same report or a separate report. Somebody, kind of an unnamed source, was quoted as saying, "Oh well, Disney are in no rush to replace him. Yeah. You know, they'll just wait for the for the greatest A list director to come along." And somebody else said, "Well, quite frankly, they don't think it's going to be somebody of that profile because." There are so many high-profile directors who would not feel comfortable taking this gig after what has happened. And we've talked about this in the office a lot, and I think I slightly differ to you guys in that. I I, I feel conflicted about it. I found the initial, um, the original tweets, I did find them offensive, and I think we have to think about people in the groups who may have been affected by the jokes that he tweeted. Can you judge somebody for their behaviour a decade later? There's all the comparative things that James often talks about in terms of behaviour and, and how people are punished or not punished um, about the way the action was taken and all of that. Mm-hmm. But um, I do, to your point, Chris, I think it's it would take a very specific kind of director to walk on that set. But as far as the cash, you know, they did put out a strongly worded statement, but... To your point, there are certain things as an actor, especially of that profile, who those films really hang upon. Is there further they could have gone? I'm absolutely sure they could have been contracts or no contracts. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. People, there are different ways you can make those situations untenable for other people. So I think it was a, a nice show of solidarity and support, mm. but it 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 feels without kind of teeth also in some respects. It'd be interesting to see what happens, and I look forward to seeing what Ron Howard does with the film. <laughs> <laughs> some other news of Brooke last week. Uh, we have a new group of Charlie's Angels. So Elizabeth Banks is directing uh-huh. and co-writing and starring as... Uh, the liaison to the angels in this new version. Uh, uh, the last time we saw him, of course, in the big screen was Bill Murray. Bill Murray, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was Charlie's Angels, and that was Lucy Liu and Drew Barrymore and Cameron Diaz. Now, Kristen Stewart, mm-hmm. Naomi Scott, who is Jasmine in Guy Ritchie's Aladdin, coming up. Ah, so this is a whole new world for her then. Oh, hey. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And uh, a newcomer called Ella Belinska, British actress uh, who is the daughter of Lorraine Pascal. Uh, if you don't know who Lorraine Pascal is, she is a TV chef. Huh. Hmm. 
Oh, yeah, I know, know her. Yeah, yeah, I didn't okay. know that she that was her daughter. Yeah, there you go. Good for her. Ella Belinska. Uh, what do we make of this? Are we excited for New Charlie's Angels? I, I think it's, intri- it's an intriguing direction, isn't it? I think uh, Kristen Stewart has made genuinely almost without exception, fascinating career choices since Twilight finished. And I think she's a really exciting, interesting actress. And therefore, the fact that she's returning to something ostensibly commercial probably means there's something a little bit quirky and interesting and weird there, and I'm, I'm excited to see what that could be. So, yeah, it'll be... It'll be yeah, it could be really fun. And I, 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 you know, I really like Elizabeth Banks, obviously, as a person. I think she did a pretty good job on Pitch Perfect 2, and I'm excited to see what she does as a director of something a little bit bigger like this. No, I have absolutely no feelings right. about this whatsoever. I, I didn't particularly enjoy Charlie's Angels or Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Um, I might enjoy this one. It's yeah. very hard to say, but I don't have any huge attachment to the original source. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm a bit ambivalent. They, they could make something interesting out of it, or it might be, you know like the others. But the lineup is really interesting because I think the, mm. the, that film reboot you're talking about had fairly typical... Yes. I know Drew Barrymore is obviously a little bit kind of edgier at yeah. times, but with Cameron Diaz... It did have yeah. Sam Rockwell being brilliant. It did. So that was cool. But you, this lineup of Charlie's Angels with Kristen Stewart, who yeah. is, you know, who yes. primarily does indies... Um, Except for Snow White and the Huntsman. Apart from Snow White and the Huntsman. And Which Twilight. was not good. Um, True. Uh, and an unknown actress. And I think it, it, it kind of piques your interest about where it's going to go. Elizabeth Banks, I think, is still a bit of an unknown quantity, Pitch Perfect 2 aside. Um, so it could be um, really interesting. It could be really terrible. OK. <laughs> um, speaking, of trios of, <laughs> speaking of trios of women, though... Were! Yeah, no, we are. Um, Terminator. Yes. We talk about oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We, yeah. we saw them. Yeah, we, we did. did. The new Terminator movie, where a reboot with... Uh, Linda Hamilton back as Sarah Connor. Yes, alongside uh, Mackenzie Davis. Yeah. And uh, Natalia Reyes. Yes. Yes, indeed. So the three of them sort of staring towards uh, the camera looking pretty badass. I still don't know what this film is about, but I'm absolutely intrigued. Um, And Sarah Connor really... Like, Linda Hamilton looks so awesome in this. Like, for that alone, I want to see this. I mean, Terminator Genesis, all is forgiven. I don't care. (laughs) Linda Hamilton's in this. I want to watch it. That's all there is to it. Yeah, that's fair. She looks amazing. Like, she looks like she could kick everyone's asses at once. I 100% believe that she could. Yes, especially yours. With a pump action, with a sawn-off shotgun and a rocket launcher slung over her shoulder. I mean, Christ. (laughs) Yeah, she's what awesome. What is happening next to me? I mean, like the, the the reaction to this online was obviously exactly as you expect. Oh, women, yeah, what? yeah what? women, yeah, women. Oh. Well, we we don't but, know anything about this film, no, really. No. Do we? So these but, like, could be the only the three women in the world, and everyone else in the world is a man. But nevertheless, if you look at the picture, Mackenzie Davis is terrifying. She, well, I mean, it's not just the haircut. Like she looks terrifying. She's holding like a pry bar. I don't know. She feels Terminatory to me. Oh, really? I don't know. I get a Terminatory vibe. No, I get I get a Sarah Connor T two vibe. From I don't her, know yeah. that pry bar. That, there's something. I, I don't think that's a pry bar. Also, she has interesting sort of scars on her arms and chest as oh, well. Yeah, that's true. Mm. So I I'm, if I'm, she's playing Sarah Connor, possibly. Possibly she is wearing, uh, you know, a vest. Two Sarah uh, Connors. Like Sarah Connor in T2. So, yeah, she's. Does it say be... her character name in the press release? It didn't, did it? No. No. We don't get names. We don't get Maybe she's names. some kind of hybrid with those scars. Mm. Maybe there's some kind of, oh, like, let's not Wolverine go back to style. Salvation Territory. No, but maybe there's some kind of Wolverine style, you know, bone enhancement going on. Yeah, maybe she is adamantium, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Maybe she's made of adamantium. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> The well, innuendoometer just picked up the phrase bone enhancement. <laughs> right, no, it's not boner enhancement. It was specifically... Never it's mind. close enough, I yeah. think. <laughs> Which is what she said. No. Yay. God, what is You're happening? absolutely filthy, the lot of you. Disgraceful. So anyway, this first image from the untitled Terminator. Well, we're calling it Terminator Reboot, and we don't know that it's necessarily a reboot as such. Yeah, but true. the untitled Terminator project. Yes, and we are excited Which about is, this because of the people involved. Yes, well. indeed. Yeah. And James Cameron, although not directing, uh, has been heavily involved in the development of the script. Mm-hmm. So, and is all over that shit, as they say. Okay. So I'm going to race through some uh, some some extra news uh, because this is no longer a tight 41. <laughs> Mark Maron is going to join the cast of the Joker movie and mm. I believe we missed the news of Robert De Niro officially joining the movie as well. So, the, yeah, this movie is... It's, it's, it's got me by the, by the Jaffas. But I'm intrigued. Yeah. Isn't this like when we said, you know, this Venom movie has a great mm. cast. We're really, you know, we can't completely dismiss it. And De Niro has made some questionable mm-hmm. choices yeah. over the but last what if, decade. What if this is the king of comedy... But with oh. De Niro in the Jerry Lewis role and Joaquin Phoenix in the De Niro role, but a different, even more psychopathic edge to it. <laughs> so you're going to say, but a different film. <laughs> but a different yes. film with different people. <laughs> but that could be interesting because apparently sure. De Niro will play a talk show host who is somehow involved with the Joker's origin. And Mark uh-huh. Maron, you would have to imagine that they're going to be playing on the whole stand-up comedian business. And uh, so that's good. Uh, some news this week about Andy Serkis. Uh, his long-awaited Mowgli has been picked up by Netflix and they also bought his uh, Animal Farm adaptation as well. So they bought the farm this week. Hey. What do we think of that? Uh, what do we think of that, by the way? Because Mowgli, poor old Mowgli, oh, no. it's, yeah. it's had a bit of a kicking, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Poor Andy. Well... Well, we don't know it's had a kick in. Well, it's been right? delayed by it's been delayed by a couple yes. of years. Which uh, which they said was because of Jungle Book, which was coming yep. out from mm. Disney, and they wanted to put space between it from a slate perspective, which you know you can kind of understand. But obviously, the news this week that it's moved from Warner Brothers to Netflix and has now been pushed back again from yep. this autumn to next year sometime. It's mm. what we're hearing with no yeah. kind of clue on dates. Yeah, I mean that's. <laughs> You really want it to be a good movie, but that's yes. not a great sign, is it? It feels a little bit like it's feels a little bit like Warner Brothers were cutting their losses a little bit. But uh, we wish uh, Andy Serkis and that we film do. all the best. And hey, uh, Glenn Powell has finally joined Top Gun 2. Hurrah! Yes, indeed. <laughs> that is enough of the news. Time now for this week's guest. Full disclosure. We did have another guest lined up this week. I won't say who it was, but unfortunately they dropped out about 20 minutes before we were due to do the interview. Completely unavoidable. uh, And hopefully we'll have them on the show at a later date. So, didn't really want to not have a guest this week. Didn't really have a lot else in the can. So, here's an excerpt from the second Christopher McQuarrie Mission Impossible Fallout Spoiler Special, which I recorded this week in L.A. with the great man. Uh, and this is going to be about a 15-minute excerpt. The full thing, all three hours of it, roughly, will be up next week sometime. So here's a little taste, a little taste just for you. And uh, because this is a spoiler special, this is going to be spoilerific as well. But uh, what can you do? So don't listen to this if you haven't seen Mission Impossible Fallout. But if you have... Here's a little sequel to last week's epic and a little preview of next week's as well. Here's me talking to Christopher McQuarrie. Enjoy. 
Delighted to be joined for this second part of this epic Mission Impossible Fallout spoiler special by the writer and director, Christopher McQuarrie. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Where, what are we time-wise now? Well, we're dangerously close to the fourth hour. Excellent. So we've we, gone way past... Way past it. All right. Way so we're now it. into series territory. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This Excellent. is this is going to be... Yeah, we're going to... By the end of this uh, spoiler special on this one film, we will probably have eclipsed the running time of the franchise. <laughs> I think that's what we have to aim for. I think that's right. It's what we have to aim for. But uh, no way to stop. One of the the interesting things I wanted to talk about was your approach to this movie. Was there anything going into this, going into Mission Six, that you wanted to achieve that you didn't in the last one? Well, I I, I think we've talked about how I wanted it to feel like a different director. Mm-hmm. I wanted to uh, I wanted to apply everything I learned and and bring a different sensibility to the franchise, if only to maintain the aesthetic uh, that it was a different director. Mm. And I, I I think with every film that I make, I'm applying what I learned last time to what I know now, and usually taking that to some sort of an extreme. Mm. Um, if you look at The Way of the Gun, that was a that was a movie where I don't think I had one conversation about lenses with my cinematographer <laughs> or lighting. Yeah. Um, except for how they lit the the night scenes in the parking lot at the at the truck stop. By the time I made it to Jack Reacher, I was a I had a better understanding of visual storytelling and less reliance on protecting the script, and started to learn a little more about well, a lot more about lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, and and trying to unlock the mysteries of cinematography. Mm. I think I had one conversation with Caleb Deschanel about lighting, where <laughs> I thought something was too bright. And he said, if you turn the lights off, it's going to be too dark. And I said, well, it'll be my fault. And we'll we turn the lights off. <laughs> and sure enough, when I look at that shot, I'm like, wow, that, that, looks like a, that looks like a movie. And the other thing I learned on that movie was I was trying to be slavishly logical about how the lighting changed in an environment over the course of the sequence yes to the point where i was establishing people turning off lights and <laughs> none of that mattered it just it just all went with mood and so by the time i i reached rogue i was uh i had i had worked by then doing second unit splinter unit on edge of tomorrow mm-hmm. and i was playing a lot more with lenses and a, and, a, and a lot more with light mm-hmm. so i felt a little more comfortable still and i think by the time i arrived at fallout i felt for the first time that i was a qualified director who knew enough about what i wanted and what i was doing to to deliver a movie that looked like a movie to me from beginning to end mm-hmm. And I also came into this movie without a set expectation of what the movie should look like. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean the design of the movie. I mean the texture when I, when I look at, it's a very hard thing for me to describe. You look at, you look at Paul Thomas Anderson's films and there's a certain texture, there's a certain visual texture to those movies. You look at David Fincher's and Mm -hmm. there's a certain visual texture and, and it's consistent throughout. Um, And, and I was looking f- how to define that. But I was always doing it by comparison. I was doing it like, well, why does it look like that person's movies? Why does it look like that person's movies? Mm. And this one, I didn't think at all about that. I just said, you just want it to look like a movie. And and don't come in with any preconceived notion of what the movie should look like. Uh, and and it will be its own movie. And so I think that's that's what happened. One of the things we should say is that we're doing this 
And it's been quite nice. We've had a little bit of a, of a, a delay between London and doing this yeah. in Los Angeles. We're here in a, in a meeting room at the, on the Paramount lot. And the movie has opened now. It's opened around the world. Yes. It's, it's, it's gone great guns. Uh, congratulations. Thank today. you. You must Thank be very, very, very happy. With a very uh, good opening weekend. Uh, have you had, does that, has that extra time given you a little bit of distance in the film? And in terms of you know, now you have audience reactions as well. And has that shaped your opinion about the film in an in a unexpected way? Uh, the audience reaction has really freaked me out. I'm so accustomed to there being some some pushback, whether whether that pushback is earned or whether it's the result of a complete misunderstanding or whether it's just people have decided they They've made up their mind that they don't like the movie before they see it. And this is very strange. It's very odd to have the movie so well received and, and by critics and audiences alike. It's a it's a it's unnerving. I'm, I don't I don't have anything to I don't have anything to push back against or dismiss. <laughs> it's folly. There's well like one guy in my Twitter feed kind of shaking his fist angrily, you know, and, yeah. and you can, it's to the point where you can't even you can't even feel that. And you always do. You always, when some, it doesn't matter if everybody likes the movie and one person doesn't. You're like, hey, wait a minute. You're, you're, you're not right in your assessment about why you hate my movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that's, I, I don't, I don't mind. The only reviews that hurt are the ones that are right. And, you know, <laughs> when they're, when they're critical. And I, and I was looking at this guy and I was like, I don't even, I don't even get what you're so upset about. We're not trying to do anything. <laughs> Except entertain you. You didn't. You weren't entertained. Move on. Um, <laughs> and so uh, uh, it, it's it's this on on Rogue Nation. There was a there was a review written about the film, which really stuck with me. And it 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 and it was one of the few reviews I read. And I've I've learned over the course of my career. I I have not read nearly the only reviews I've read on this movie are reviews that you know your mom sends you it's like this one's really nice you should read it and there was a review on Rogue Nation that that dismissed it as a movie that wasn't about anything okay um that that was that was the reviewer's big complaint is that the movie wasn't really about anything and I thought I why I found that frustrating is because we tried to make it about something we mm. tried to have a point of view, and the testing process expunged almost all of those <laughs> scenes. And and I learned a very valuable lesson. It's not that the audience didn't want those talky bits in the movie, but mm. I wasn't presenting the talky bits in a way that the audience wanted. Yes. And, and I had to learn, if I was going to give the movie any content, I had to deliver it through story and not through through emotion and not through information. And so... That's it's I, I'm feeling the result of that from what I learned on Rogue Nation to what I learned on this movie. Mm. What I what I brought from Rogue Nation to this is not is everything about lenses and lighting and and choreography and all and action, all the other things that I learned, but also the emotional things that we discovered when making Edge of Tomorrow and when making Rogue Nation and and brought it to this movie. And this is the first time in my career where I've stated i'm going to do this and this is what happened that's that's a very unusual feeling i'm i'm used to going in and saying i'm going to do this and well that didn't happen but we tried and and we found something else along the way but you yeah. know it doesn't really matter as long as everybody has a good time at the movie yeah i'm very proud of the fact that we that we called it 
we called it right from the beginning, said this is what we intend to do. This is mm. what we want audiences to feel, mm-hmm. and that and and what we want audiences audiences to respond to, and they are. It's a it's a great feeling. It feels like you've connected with people on a on a fundamental level. And how much did the movie change from because we talked last time about how you came up with the idea about Ethan having to break out Solomon Lane whilst on the set of Rogue Nation and uh, you had the idea for this movie or at least the first 20, 30, 40 minutes of this movie I think fairly mm-hmm. early on and it didn't really change that much that's my understanding anyway. Um, yeah, it didn't it didn't change much. It grew. It, it, it we the most important element of making any movie is denial. You just need to be completely deluding yourself into thinking that anything you're doing is achievable and, <laughs> um, and that anyone will like it uh-huh. uh, and that you're, and that things that you are convinced will only take 30 seconds of screen time will not take seven and a half minutes. <laughs> uh, and because if you thought about that, it, the number of times we turned to, to each other on this movie and said, if we'd known what this would have taken, we would never have done it. We would never have done the Halo sequence. We'd never mm. have done the helicopter chase. Probably wouldn't have done the foot chase. Uh, or at least, or at least, we wouldn't have done that stunt. It would have been just Ethan in a room for ninety minutes. Yeah, it would have been. It would have been. Yes, it would have been. The, it would have been the opening scene of Mission Impossible One, <laughs> with two hours of interrogation, and then Tom pulls a mask off, uh, which is great because Tom would only have to shoot for a day. It would be. It would have been a much more relaxing experience for him. So at the beginning, I was convinced I'm going to get right into it. I'm just. I'm not going to dick around. I'm going to thrust right into the story. I'm going to get the wedding out of. In 30 seconds, I'm going to get the mission out in 30 seconds, mm. and then we're going to we're going to have a cool little scene where Ethan loses the plutonium, and we're going to explode into titles. And it was 15 minutes. Yeah, um, and that that happened because we kept we kept trying to tie the bow on certain things, and and everything kept growing and growing and growing. And then we were, we were just struggling to compact everything back down again. Mm. But that fundamentally, the beginning was always the same. Uh, I also knew very early on the scene between Ethan and Julia and Wes Bentley at the end. Okay. The only thing that was the unknown was that middle of the movie. And Mm. really, where am I going to put this one scene that I wanted in the middle of the movie? There was this very dark, really dark scene with Ethan. Um, And and I just, I, 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 I... recognized that I was doing the same thing that I had done in Rogue, which was I was tying, I was twisting the movie in knots trying to make something happen that very clearly didn't want to go that way. And if I hadn't made Rogue, I'd probably, I probably would have done it. I would have, I mm. would have made a really messy middle act of the movie that, that didn't pay off as, in, in, as, in as satisfying a way as this one did. And the other big script change was that I had written a version of that scene where Hunley shows up and dumps all the information on the table, but he was there to help. And it was in an effort to make Alec Baldwin, you know, a, a warmer and more sympathetic character that he finds out mm. the team is in trouble. And we see Alec Baldwin learn that the team is in trouble and he's racing to, to, to catch them. And uh, and I had something of a of an L.A. confidential kind of scene where he encounters Walker and confronts Walker and tells Walker what's going on. And Walker. And that was the reveal. Yes. The reveal was that Walker turns around and kills him. And there were two reasons I did it. One, 
It was in LA Confidential, <laughs> and, and which was a which was a pretty good film all by it's itself. It's a pretty good film. Rolo Tomasi. Um, yes, Rolo, Rolo Tomasi. But also because it 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 it, it was a giant detour. And yeah, I, and I learned so much about detours on all the things we've done since then. I've just I feel like everything is a refinement of of my of my process um, in in terms of that the ruthless efficiency of telling the story. Uh, and it leaves room for all that information we think we need to tell. It's very interesting when you hear people listen to, you know, they say, oh, the movie could be a half hour shorter. Mm-hmm. Well, where? <laughs> I, I don't think that I didn't sit in the editing room and say, boy, if we could now, I could take out seven minutes of this movie like that. I could take out the whole hospital room blitzer scene and the movie yeah. would be seven minutes shorter. I could take out the lane breakout like i could cut that car chase down to two and a half minutes and the movie would be shorter i could there's there's a lot i could do to make the movie a half hour shorter Mm. but it isn't the stuff you need to know in order to care about the characters and feel invested and have things not feel like they're coming out of nowhere i promise i'm going to work harder on the next one to make it simpler still but Mm. um that's so uh, that's the long answer to your question. I think the script changed. <laughs> it didn't change. It just metastasized. It, it, was, it, was, a, it was a very simple construct of Lane wants revenge. Mm. And I, I didn't know that. I'm glad you asked me because you, you just reminded me. I didn't know that that's what the story was uh, until we were shooting tests of, um, of Lane in that helicopter. You know, we were we were we okay. were doing camera tests, and it allowed us to steal a little bit of Sean Harris. Mm. And there's the first shot of him oh, over yeah, yeah, his yeah. shoulder yeah. in the helicopter coming into Paris. That was the that was shot before we started production. And I remember looking at the frame, and and I took a snapshot of it to send to Tom, and I sent it with the subject heading: "He will have his revenge." <laughs> that was the first time revenge was even a a concept. Yes. It was originally we I was sticking to the original idea we talked about on Rogue, which is you it Lane was a device. He was something that Tom needed, that Ethan needed to achieve his goal. Mm. It was only over time that the notion of the fact that Lane was pulling all the strings and that Lane had an agenda. And what was Lark's agenda? Did Lark work with Lane? Did he work for Lane? Did mm-hmm. Lane work for him? What dark deal had they made with one another? And it's interesting to listen to people. The, 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 what I'm, I'm reading on social media as there's people who are, uh, they're having fun with it, but they're talking about how convoluted and nonsensical the plot is or <laughs> that I can't make any sense of the plot. And there are other people saying, thank God, it's the simplest plot of any Mission Impossible movie we've ever seen. And I'm astonished because I, on the one hand, I think it's the most, certainly the most over-explained yeah. in terms of all the, the pieces uh, that you have to know. And all of that is so that the ending pays off. When you arrive in the camp, you don't need to know anything. Nothing needs to be explained. Mm. I'm taking all the effort away from the actors and putting it on the, the poor exposition people. <laughs> but there's a line of dialogue in this in this movie where if you hear it, the whole movie makes sense. And if you don't hear it, if you're not listening to off-camera dialogue, doesn't make sense. Yeah. And it's, it's in that scene between Walker and Lane and... Mm-hmm. and uh, when he says, when I have what you want, you'll get your plutonium. There's still people going, wait, it, I thought Walker had the plutonium. Why is he doing all this? And I'm just like, 
I could explain it to you, but <laughs> it's when you're going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I was going to, in fact, I will read out a tweet from, uh, I don't know if you know, the great British comedian David Baddiel at Baddiel. Uh, I very much enjoyed Mission Impossible Fallout. I would also enjoy sitting down with anyone for a week or two who might fancy explaining the plot. That was the guy. That, <laughs> that was, was the guy I read. Yes, I read that guy. I read his tweet. Here, ready? I'm going to do it. Yeah, go for it. It's revenge. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There's the plot. Christopher McQuarrie there, and if you haven't already had enough of me talking to Christopher McQuarrie, there's going to be more. So the next one, the the second part, the second and final part of our spoiler special will be out next week. And that will take the running time roughly. I haven't edited it yet, so it may not quite do that. But it'll hit mm, six hours, I'd say. Does that, does that seem like overkill? Does that seem excessive? Does that seem a little bit? A little bit? Is it though? Mm. Anyway. It, do you know what? It gives us something to shoot for with Avengers 2. <laughs> 4. Whatever. Speaking speaking of Avengers 4, Infinity War has uh, has been released onto the interwebs via iTunes in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, we watched it. And I'm really disappointed here that there is far less talk of the handle in the actual film than we may have led people to believe. No, really? Yeah. Yeah, I was. I was. It's it's relatively light on handlage. Um, can I just say on the subject of it being released online that Leslie Jones uh, of Ghostbusters and Saturday Night Live fame put up some clips of her commentating <laughs> yes. on it, and I they are this. they are precious beyond belief. And I feel like she should just commentate on things nonstop. If you remember, her Olympics coverage was mm. phenomenal, and her coverage of Captain America's arrival, for example, uh, is for the ages. Quite frankly, so yeah, there you go. check that out. If you can find it on Twitter. How did she get away with that from a legal standpoint? Um, oh, it's like it's a tiny little clip. It's fair use. It as, is. as your lawyer? Yeah. Okay. All right. We should start doing that then. No. Just She's better t- lawyers than us. No. Uh, yeah. Well, you're a lawyer. Yeah, but I'm not getting paid for this stuff. I'm just, Just know, imagine Helen gushing over Captain America's entrance. <laughs> no. Anyway, here's me talking about Sky Cinema. Enjoy. Yeah, thanks a lot, Chris. Another excellent link, well done. As you know, this week's podcast is sponsored by Sky Cinema, which gives you the unlimited access to the best movies at home whenever and wherever you want in the best possible way. I have been, I cannot deny it, I admit it, a Sky Cinema subscriber for many years now. I love the choice they offer. It kept me going on the plane to LA this week, Sky Cinema, thank you for that. And they've got over a thousand quality movies on demand ready for me, or you, to enjoy whenever I or you want. Okay, both my recommendations this week come from a new collection on Sky Cinema. It is the DC Heroes collection. Got lots of great DC movies in there, lots of Batman movies, including Tim Burton's Batman, the Adam West Batman, Batman Returns. You have the Lego Batman movie. You have Watchmen in there as well. Wonder Woman, which I've talked about in the recommendations in the past. But the two I'm going to talk about are probably two of the best superhero films of all time, two of the best comic book movies of all time, two of the best part twos of all time. The first one, of course, is Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight, which was a sequel to 2005's Batman Begins, introduced an iconic, indelible Joker in the late, great Heath Ledger, escalated the mayhem of Batman Begins with wonderful set pieces, great cinematography from Wally Pfister, and that central dynamic between Christian Bale's Batman And Heath Ledger's Joker is one for the ages. It is filled with twists and turns, great roles for supporting characters. Gary Oldman's Lieutenant Gordon gets a lot to do in this one. Michael Caine's Alfred. 
Lucius Fox, played by Morgan Freeman, and of course, Harvey Dent, played by Aaron Eckhart. But it really is all about that relationship between Batman and the Joker. For me, it is one of the best blockbusters of all time, and it is an incredibly influential movie. So if you haven't seen, somehow if you have not seen The Dark Knight, it's one of the great crime films as well, so influenced by the films of Michael Mann. Go and check it out right now in the DC Heroes collection. And the other film I'm going to talk about is another great part too, and that is Superman 2, which is the sequel, of course, to Superman the movie. This is an incredible film, which given the film's troubled production history is even more remarkable. Superman 2 was filmed back-to-back initially with Superman the movie, and Richard Donner was the director working on both movies. And the producers, the Salkinds, decided to let Donner go, shall we say, when about 70% of Superman 2 was in the can. And what's interesting about this movie is they brought a new director in, Richard Lester, the guy who directed Hard Day's Night and, and Help. They brought him in. Marlon Brando didn't come back, which is why Susanna York suddenly plays a big role in this movie as Superman's mother. You have Gene Hackman refusing to come back to complete his scenes as Lex Luthor. So if you listen carefully, you can see that there is a voice double in some scenes where you don't see Lex's mouth move, uh, or it's a body double in some scenes as well. Despite that, and despite the turmoil behind the scenes, what we have here is an incredible superhero movie that set the template for a lot of second parts. A lot of second parts in superhero uh, franchises tend to strip the powers away from the, the hero, have the hero facing up to the responsibility and to the, the the drudgery of being a superhero. And this is very much that. So you have Clark Kent slash Superman really wanting to explore life as a human being and finding that being Superman gets in the way of his love for Lois Lane. So he renounces his powers, he strips himself of his powers and lives life as a mortal. Meanwhile, three Kryptonian badasses break out of the Phantom Zone and come to Earth. Ursa, Non, and the brilliant Terrence Stamp as General Zod, an all-time great supervillain. And they team up with Lex Luthor and wreak merry hell on Metropolis. And this is a tremendous film anchored by great performances you have Terrence Stamp as General Sod. You have Hackman when he is. You have Hackman when he is in the movie on great form as Lex Luthor. And you have the late, great Christopher Reeve, just the greatest Superman of all time. Noble, righteous, but has a lovely note of vulnerability, a lovely note of humanity under the surface, and is so good at playing the different sides of Clark Kent. Fantastic films, The Dark Knight and Superman 2. Cannot recommend them highly enough. There are my recommendations this week on Sky Cinema. And join me next week for more Sky Cinema-related fun. Back to you in the studio, another studio, Chris. Uh, that was me talking about Sky Cinema. And now let's talk about the movies that are available for you to see this week at your multiplex or independent art house cinema of choice. And let's start with the smallest independent release of the week, which is Ant-Man and the Wasp, <laughs> which is finally, finally got a release in the UK. It came out in the States in 1973. <laughs> Damn you, football! <laughs> I mean, I love the World Cup, but I wasn't happy about this. No, I know. Uh, it delayed me. It delayed me. Um, Helen. Hello. What do we think of this? Is it a tiny Marvel or a b- big Marvel? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's. <laughs> I would say it's a medium-level Marvel, uh, to be honest. Uh, it's uh, fun and... Uh, frothy and entertaining, much like the first one, um, but it's coming after a string of phenomenal uh, films from the studio. Um, you know, Thor and Black Panther and Infinity War, and of course Spider-Man. Before that, mm-hmm. this feels very much lesser 
than that string to me, I would say. Um, but, you know, basically it's, it's, it's fun to hang out with Scott Lang. Again, he is, uh, as we heard in Infinity War, under house arrest. He has a two-year term. He's coming up to the end of that term. But wouldn't you believe it? What? He's, he's, he's called out of his house. house, isn't it? Oh! Yeah. Okay, because... Because of reasons. Reasons mm. involving... Uh, involving the Wasp, um, a.k.a. Evangeline Lilly. Hope well, Van Dyne. Hope Van Dyne. That'll also, do it. Um, who, with her father, Hank Pym, is trying to get her mum out of the quantum realm. Her mum being Michelle Pfeiffer. Aren't we all? Well, mm. yeah. Uh, and people are trying to stop them. Yes, but they make a quantum leap <laughs> and they put right what, what, could, what could have gone wrong and make all things well. Yeah. All Hoping right. each time that their next leap will be the leap out <laughs> of the quadrumbrella. Oh boy! Oh, yes. <laughs> I hate when you beat me to a punchline. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Ant Man and the Wasp. I uh, I, I enjoyed this film, but all no right, one was right, much. Jobs. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. No, let's, let's see you backtrack wildly. No, because no, you're you're quite down this film, aren't you? Like, no, I mean, not down. Like, I th- I I agree with the three star review. I had a good Spoiler. time watching it. Sorry, <laughs> if I spoiled the review. We gave it three stars. I hate when um, beat me to a uh, to a star three star recommendation. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I, I it was fine. It was the most fine thing ever. Um, it was. <laughs> Like it made me smile a bit, it made me laugh a bit, it made me a bit excited. It just wasn't as funny or exciting or, you know, smile inducing as A it could have been, or B the first one was. And I think crucially for me, I think Ant Man is loads of fun and I really, really enjoyed it. And this one relies far too heavily on the same or variants of the same beats we see in the first film, but doesn't do them with anywhere near as much sort of sort of flair and panache. So it felt a little bit like a sort of little bit watered down carbon copy for me i also thought i didn't love the tonal shifts like walton's goggins character in particular felt like he was in a different film to me and i didn't i didn't enjoy him i thought that uh, michael pena kind of plays that tone and does mm-hmm. it well i thought adding him to it just muddled it that said and i will say no more than this i really really enjoyed the first credit sting and thought it was particularly well thought through yeah and that is what i will say we'll, we'll talk about, about that, that more film. in the spoilers yes we, will. we are recording yes. immediately after this if yes. we ever finish this <laughs> we, we, we will finish this don't worry uh terry uh, can we retrieve your opinion from the quantum realm <laughs> um yeah. so i um i share james's opinion um controversially so <gasps> i um thought that so many of the laughs fell flat for me and I loved, actually, I did. I thought some of the action scenes were really well executed, especially the first one. I yeah. thought they were really precise um, and the dynamism was brilliant. And those are the moments that actually were massive highs for me. But overall, I just felt bored, which is something I never, ever want to feel in a Marvel movie. And I think Helen's right. I think part of the problem is we've had two particularly remarkable Marvel movies this year, both of which I think completely. A, kind of moved the benchmark, but also took Marvel into such different directions and it felt like Ant-Man and the Wasp was kind of going backwards almost. I don't think it benefited from coming out so soon after Avengers, relatively. Um, So it did, it left me flat. It was a bit of a small film, is what you're saying. <laughs> We've already made that gag once. Sorry. Just like, do it again. I wasn't listening. Yeah. Cut did... that. <laughs> no, no, that's staying in. But it did feel... It did... You weren't paying attention. I wasn't. It. I'm writing a feature <laughs> while I'm doing the podcast. I'm sorry. But it did feel quite 90s. 
Yeah. It felt like with with the family no, stuff. Not in a venom. No, kind the of other way. the other kind of nineties, the other end of the sort of the family spectrum, sort of you know. So more mystery men, less venom. More inner. I was thinking earlier nineties, like inner or even late eighties, inner space kind of. Oh era, yeah, okay. Sort yeah, of, no, you know, it has that. that. Kind of, it does have that yeah. to it. It has a goofiness to it. Yeah. Um, it also has an ant playing the drums, but you know, good yeah, times. Yeah, a spoiler. It's in the trailer. Well, okay. Then. <laughs> yes, uh, I think you're all idiots, uh, with the exception, of course, of my wonderful boss. Oh, you saw no, me. no, you're you're naked yeah. as well. Uh, I saw this movie. And liked it. There you go. Thank you very much indeed. We all, for, we no, all like it. No, it's I, a three-star film. It's a recommendation. I went, in, I went yes. into this with very low expectations because he... he <laughs> Me? He. That's him in the corner. That's uh, and Nick. <laughs> and Dumb. Nick had been... Uh, texting me, we live texted you. Didn't you we? Were li- yeah. well, you weren't live well, texting me. That's bad. As soon as we came out, as soon as you know, you were like Ant Me and uh, <laughs> and the Wasp and all that sort of stuff. There was a lot of insect punning. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, uh, no, I, I went in with quite low expectations, and they were met and exceeded. I had an absolute blast with this. In fact, and I will, I will talk about this on the spoiler special. I feel that this is. I prefer this to the first movie. Food neither, neither, of course, are in my top ten. Marvel. We're at the point now. This is the twentieth film in the MCU <laughs> where you can say that, and it's not an insult. Uh, but they're both fun movies. But I think this one has the benefit of not having changed directors six weeks before filming started, and it's more co- confident and more cohesive. And I, I like Helen. I could just spend. A lot of time with these characters. Scott Lang, uh, Evangeline Lilly is much better in this movie, gets a lot more to do, is a lot funnier. Um, and Michael Pena is, as ever, a delight. And I think the effects have moved on a quantum leap, if you will, since the, the last movie. And they're now seamless. So and what they can do with the. It's like a quantum leap accelerator. It, it is. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. Um, but the, the embiggening. That's great, and the ensmolening is also great, so all all good for, for me. So three stars for Ant-Man and the Wasp from a bunch of curmudgeons, and I will give it 75 stars. <laughs> so there you go. Verdict, better than The Incredible Hulk. Yes, it is better than <laughs> yes, Incredible Yes, I think Hulk. we can all agree on that. But yes, it's, just, it's the most slight Marvel movie in ages, but I think that's deliberate. Anyway. Also out this week, we have a British movie which unites Gemma Arterton and Dominic Cooper and is called The Escape. And Terry White has things to say about this movie. Terry, what is it and uh, and what do we think about it? So, I have things. I saw this film at Toronto last year accidentally. Um, I was waiting. <laughs> Did you slip and fall into the screening? <laughs> I slipped and fell in. And there, but I was between other films I was intending to see and this one sounded the least offensive out of what was left. So I slipped into the cinema and um, it's one that's really stayed with me for pretty much the last year so Arterton plays um, a woman whose name you actually don't realise until three quarters of the way through the film which is um, quite symbolic because she's essentially a wife a mother, she's got a nice house her kids are fairly well behaved her husband is attentive if a little bit boorish Um, and you get the sense that she's not just dissatisfied but she's absolutely suffocating and cannot breathe and has forgotten essentially who she is. Dominic Cooper plays her husband who is pedestrian, who is boorish but is actually played really sympathetically by him and it's really a story of her gradual, not so much unravelling because what actually happens is she retreats further into 
herself until she goes to London um, on a random day trip, finds this art book, which basically makes her revisit and refine her creativity and her love of art and her life before she was a wife and a mother. Now, it sounds like a fairly kind of typical story of the bored housewife, the bored mother, kind of going against that last taboo, which is a woman who leaves her family. Um, And the question all the way through is, what is she going to do? And kind Mm. of it pivots around. She runs away to Paris. Um, I shan't say any more because it'll be a spoiler, but essentially it's about whether she will, in fact, escape or not. The thing is, this film is remarkably made, and I saw Gemma talking, and she was saying it's it's really influenced by French films, which which you can see. The way it's shot is incredible, very naturalistically. The, the crops are really tight, really claustrophobic, and using a lot of natural light. But the sense you get of her is her world closing in on her. She is remarkable in this film. Like, everything is through her face. She actually has very minimal dialogue. And the other thing about this film is it wasn't scripted, so they sketched out the scenes. Wow. But the whole thing was improvised. So there's a crushing kind of mundanity to their exchanges, to the big moments that are meant to be kind of emotional pivot points actually... The, the, this kind of searing normality at the heart of this despair is, is really well done. It's really realistic. So I absolutely loved this film. It really... It's one of the most interesting British films I can remember seeing a long time. Um, the writer-director is Dominic Savage, who's actually done more telly than anything else. And it surprised me on so many levels. I don't know kind of how wide an audience it's going to find. It's it's quite challenging in terms of what it is, the way it's shot. There's no kind of big grand arc. If you're waiting for that kind of perfect resolution, um, dramatic moment, you're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. But it really stuck with me since. And it's, it's I think it's Gemma Arterton's best performance. Oh, that's high praise. Yes. And I'm a big fan of hers, but this is a remarkable piece of work from her. She is great. Fantastic. So four stars. Four stars. I'm sold. Four stars in for The Escape. And we're going to wrap up the review section now with Teen Titans Go! Exclamation mark. To the movies. Correct. Hell's Bells. Yes. um, So it's, you know, it's a cold day in hell when I tell you that this week's DC movie is better than this week's Marvel movie. Yet (gasps) such is the case. Wow. (laughs) Mark the date and time, Chris. Mark the date and time. (laughs) I had an absolute blast with this. I sort of went along because I was like, I had nothing better to do that morning. Um, And uh, I was utterly blown away by this. I haven't watched either of the Teen Titans TV shows. There was a sort of vaguely serious one in the early noughties and then this one, Teen Titans Go, um, from 2013, I think, onwards. Um, But it's basically about a bunch of sidekicks led by Robin who uh, form their own super team. But Teen Titans Go is essentially them when they're not fighting evil. They're just, like, kicking about doing stuff. And uh, that is completely delightful, as it turns out. So the basic quest this time is that everybody else gets a superhero movie. They want their own superhero movie. Um, And yet Hollywood's hottest superhero director, who in this case is voiced by Kristen Bell, tells them that that basically that will never happen unless they're the only superheroes in the world. Um, So they, they set out to essentially prove her wrong. Um, Not to kill all the other superheroes in the world, which is where I thought this was going. I mean, well... Anyway... I'm the wasp in here again. We won't go too much further into the plot because it really doesn't matter because the plot is just there as a a string for a series of completely bananas and excellent 
jokes, super nerdy ones, some of them. Mm-hmm. If you if you keep an eye out in the background of these movies, there is so much going on. They, That's they stuff go to, behind the foreground. Thanks, Chris. They go to the <laughs> premiere of a movie called Batman Again, which just on its own <laughs> basically destroyed me. Pretend for a second I don't know what the Teen Titans are. Is this yeah. like the Muppet Babies of, of DC? I literally just explained a couple of minutes ago, James, <laughs> that they're... The I don't James, they're James doesn't of, listen to any part of the podcast that's not him talking. And this is a fundamental so issue. They're led by Rob. They're basically essentially a string of B-string... They're B-string kind of DC characters. You've got Robin, Cyborg, Starfire, Raven and Beast Boy. And that's the line. <laughs> Aren't you glad you no, asked and I went into no, all no, that detail? No, but seriously, tell me what it's about. Yeah, that's it. They it's about 90 minutes. There yeah. you go. Um, hey. Here all week. It's just got, like, they literally name drop Animaniacs in it, which is always a way to into my affections. Um, but it, it has some of that anarchic spirit and a lot of that cleverness as well. Mm-hmm. And I just had a blast with it. I paid to see this movie in LA on an afternoon off this week and uh, based purely on Helen's recommendation and also Robbie Collins. And I had an absolute blast with this as well. It is very, very funny. Uh, it's one of those movies where, where there's a great gag every 17.3 seconds. <laughs> and if it doesn't hit, one doesn't hit, don't worry about that because there's another one coming along in 17.3 seconds after that. It's really exuberant and infectious. It's got great songs as well. There's yeah. a fantastic Michael Bolton song. I may have downloaded it. Uh, nothing. I am I am about to download it. Uh, <laughs> it is very, very funny and knowing and nerdy. And uh, I really want to watch the Teen Titans Go TV series now as well. And it's just very, very good. It's very yeah. good. Oh, oh, and by the way, it also has a genuinely, I think, the best last line of any movie this year. Oh my God, it's incredible. Yeah. It, it's up there with Nobody's Perfect. It's, it's so, <laughs> it's so good. It's better than Nobody's Perfect. It's better than no, Nobody's Perfect. No, we don't perfect. want to oversell it, but it's better than yeah. Nobody's Perfect. If this movie doesn't change your life and stop Brexit, then something... I don't want to overstate it. I, want to, I don't want to get people's hopes about this movie up too much, but this movie... This movie will pay your college loan. It will That's pay your college loan. Forward. It will stop Brexit. It will turn back time. It will do all that sort of stuff. It's, It'll uh, find a way. It is quite possibly the greatest movie in the history of motion pictures. Four stars in for Teen Titans. Go to the movies. And uh, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Wow. That Brought was to you by Sky Cinema. <laughs> Tight 94 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm exaggerating. It was like 84. We were infused by the spirit of Macquarie. <laughs> And you went to one with her anyone? <laughs> no? No? Okay, just me. Right, there we go. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by, I think, Hayley Atwell. Ooh. That's exciting. Peggy Carter. Peggy Carter. Probably star. here for something else. Yeah, Christopher, Christopher Robin. Robin. Yeah. But really, but really, Peggy Carter. In our hearts. Yeah, yeah. always in our hearts. Uh, but mainly in a coffin at the moment, isn't oh, she, Peggy? No, it's too soon. Yeah. It's only been like six movies since then. <laughs> How quickly we forget. No, she's proper dead. And uh, hopefully Ian Morris. <laughs> Monster. The director of the festival and co-creator of The Inbetweeners as well. So, until that auspicious occasion, without any further ado, it is time for me to say once again a farewell to you all. Uh, without drawing this out anymore, and I will bring in my three colleagues of such lethal cunning, who, of course, if you remember, <laughs> back at the beginning of the episode oh, were God. Helen O'Hara, Terry White, and James Dyer. This is a part of the show where I say goodbye to them and get us out really, really quickly because this is going to be a tight 41, people. All right, Helen, I'm going to queue you up now, and then I go, you say goodbye, okay? <laughs> it's goodbye from Helen. Come on, Helen! <laughs> 
It's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Goodbye, goodbye. That was rubbish. Honestly. Oh my God, just move on. It's goodbye from Terry White. Tara. No, Terry. People stop listening now, so it doesn't really matter, but it's goodbye from James Dyer. Goodbye. That's, I've, I've lost the venom. It's gone. It really has. It's, it's, more like, it's an oh, Irish yeah. golem, isn't it, now? <laughs> now you've lost it. Now <laughs> <Yeah>. you've lost it. <laughs> I like to think I was clinging to it with my fingertips at one point, but no, it's definitely gone. I hate when you beat me to a punch now. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to take my innuendoometer out and give it a whirl. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>